1: This episode of Off Air with Jane and Fee is brought to you by British
2: Heart Foundation. British Heart Foundation have estimated that up to 7.6 million people are living with heart and circulatory diseases in the UK. And there is something
1: we can all do to help fund life-saving research. And don't worry, Fee, we don't all need to run marathons to fundraise today. Over 50% of their research is funded by gifts in wills. Now, these are really vital in supporting life-saving research. It's such a remarkably
2: positive thing we can all do and definitely something to consider if you are writing your will or thinking of updating it. With a simple act, you can support future scientific breakthroughs that could
1: help save and improve millions of lives. British Heart Foundation offers a free will guide and free will writing services too, helping to make the process as easy as possible.
2: To download your free will guide today and help British Heart Foundation fund life-saving research, search BHF Wills.
1: Welcome everybody, um, we're back Well you're back, I'm back I was here all the time uh, Julie has emailed to say Hope you had a fab holly bob Don't say that please Julie, I cannot stand Holly bob, holly bogs Holly it? pops, holly Pop, none of those But apart from that I like Julie a lot Although I'm not sure about this bit of advice She's got here, you must indulge Fee with her treat of choice immediately As I think she had quite a hard time In your absence hmm. I can't really read any more of that email out. But thank you, Julie. And it's, you sound like a very sound woman, but there's no way I'm buying a confectionery on the first oh, day come back. Oh, No, on. maybe later in the week. Come maybe on. Maybe later All I wanted was a twirl. Yeah, that's well, all I wanted. They didn't have any twirls.
2: Well, they've always got twirls. I'll tell you what they do have. They always have twirls and they always have a tonics.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's because neither of them are particularly nice. Well, exactly. But
2: they're quite so reasonably price. But they're not priced. cheap.
1: No, a twirl is quite reasonably priced. So tomorrow, come in with a twirl, please. Oh, come God. on. I'll see what I can do. I really don't like what a funny aftertaste twirls. Uh, anyway, I had a week off. You were here. and um, But you also, did you talk last week about how you've had COVID? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and we can just park <laughs> That's just, I knew you wouldn't be sympathetic. I am no, I am sympathetic. No, I am sympathetic because when you went home ill on, I think it was the Tuesday of the week before. Yeah, um, you really, you genuinely looked ashen. No, you did. <laughs> Even I felt sympathy. Um, in fact, I texted to ask if you'd got home properly. That's how much I cared. Um, but also, I should say what's interesting about COVID is you've had it now. This is the third, third time you've time. had it. I've yep. only had it once. And you said that you thought the symptoms were different each time you had it. Yeah. So they are morphing, is it? Now, Because it's now been quite some time since you last had a vaccination, I guess.
2: Yes. And uh, we did speak to an immunologist on the programme, didn't we, last week, just about where COVID is, is at yeah. the moment. Uh, and he was fascinating because he basically said... Uh, we don't entirely know because obviously it's not a notifiable illness anymore and not everybody is testing for it. And yeah. although it has gone in the direction that it should have gone in, which is to become more like the common cold in terms of how we can all deal with it, so you no longer think, oh, my God, I've got COVID, I might die. Yeah. But then the bad side of it is we haven't kept track of all the variants no. and things that are changing in the different symptoms so we're in a very
1: strange place. He wasn't entirely convinced we were in the right place at the moment. Well, that's, that's not terribly reassuring. No, no. I wonder no. whether anyone listening who's just been through COVID, maybe for the first time, um, they can just let us know how it's been in this variation yeah and how it differs from maybe other times when they've had it
2: and also i'd be interested to hear i mean obviously not in excessive detail uh, just about what you kind of decided to do about it because i only knew that i had covid so i was meant to be going to pick my kids up and i would have seen my mum and mm. i don't want to give it to her because she's old and she's yeah. on her own uh, but i think most people think i might have covid and nobody's got a test kit anymore they can't really be bothered to get one you don't have to test mm. anyway so I'd be quite interested in how people treat it spreads. Tense it spreads. OK. Everywhere. Well,
1: I do, because I've got elderly parents that I visit, I do keep tests and I do test usually before I go. But, um, in fact, I thought I had it the last time I went to see my parents and I woke up very early in the morning to test. And part of me was... I'm not saying I was... No, I can't say I was hoping to be positive. But I did feel quite quite ill. And it would have been... <laughs> well, I could just have taken to my bed legitimately. Yeah. Anyway, it was... It was completely negative. And the next day I just felt fine. So I don't know what that was. Mm. I'll um, tell you one thing the immunologist did
2: say that really yeah. uh, pulled me up short. It uh, was just we've also really, really stopped taking note of what's happening in other countries. And I cannot remember the last time no. that I've seen or read a report about how India is dealing with the latest COVID variant really or anywhere else. And do you remember that feeling? And it was quite a brief feeling right at the beginning of COVID where there was a moment, I think, where... Uh, you had a sense that maybe there would be a global response that we'd all be in it together and we'd all sort something out together. It didn't last. <laughs> it didn't last. But I think we've gone back to somewhere even worse than we were before, oh, no. where we were almost deliberately
1: ignoring what's happening in other parts of the world in terms of individual health.
2: Because it's all just too
1: scary, Jane. It's yeah. a natural reaction. There's only it? so much we any of us can take, yeah. isn't there? I was reading an article... On the BBC website yesterday about the suffering of the women of Yemen, and you know there's this god awful civil war there that's been rumbling on for years, largely unreported, unnoticed, barely referred to. And I, I read it slightly in a slightly dutiful way, thinking oh, I ought to engage with this. Oh, and at the end you just think, oh my god, you know why do I complain about anything? Yeah. Um, it's it really it really did make me think. But you know, in almost within about half an hour, I was belly aching about something totally irrelevant and ridiculous uh, but we sh- you're right we should think more globally anyway let us know how you are it's a very open question <laughs> how how are you all uh jane and fee at times.radio if you've had covid recently how was it for you Um, Right, we can get on. to. There's a couple of other really interesting emails. Can we do the one about the ladies in a muddle, about friendships?
2: Yes, before we get to that because we will take our listeners' minds with us on that one, I'm sure. Can I just say a huge thank you to everybody who has emailed in with their comedic book recommendations. Uh, So I've done a little bit of collating and the one that comes up the most is The Rosie Project by Graham Simsian uh, who is an Australian novelist and we do like an Australian novelist don't we, Jane? Uh, And the The other one is Anything, by the looks of it, by John Boyne. Uh, One of the recommendations is The Heart's Invisible Furies, which is just such a brilliant book title. So I've ordered both of those and I'd like to say an enormous thank you uh, for people responding to that plea. So we'll
1: see how we go on those. Okay. And um, I took you up on the recommendation of Blue Lights on BBC iPlayer, brilliant. Unfortunately, there's been a little bit of domestic turmoil. My neighbour's extension has blocked out my satellite dish, so I cannot currently receive television.
2: How are you still... Sorry. Wait a minute, everybody. Wait a minute. I know what you're
1: saying. How is, in, Kate, is it TV critic? No, is it 2023?
2: Is it 1983? I knew you'd You've got the... a
1: satellite dish? Gosh. I don't understand it either. Are you watching on B-Sky-B? B? <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> It's the square one, you know, Alan Sugars. Um, it's, no, it's. I don't understand it. I don't understand. A Pac-Man on an Amstrad. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Okay, so you should just be plugged into broadband. Yeah, no, I am for that. So this is the, the for the last. It's been really quite soul destroying. I don't know how you even get here every day. No, well, that that is a minor miracle when I do emerge from the underground. I'm always pleasantly surprised <laughs> by myself. Oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, no, um, I've been watching a lot of Netflix because that I can get. I'm sorry, Jane. Okay, so you can't get you can't get the BBC. No, without I can't get satellite. no terrestrial telly at all.
2: But if you're getting Netflix, you can get the BBC.
1: You must be able to. Well, if you've on, got broadband... I've got broadband. Then well, I can get it on my get, iPlayer, but yeah. not on the telly.
2: But then just plug, pl- just plug your, your laptop You'll into your TV. You'll have to come TV. round and sort it. You'll have to come round and sort I, it. Okay. I can't do that. On the way home, I'm going to buy you an HDMI cable. Oh, thank you very and much. And then you just plug your laptop into your TV and it'll come up there. But
1: I've got a tiny laptop. That won't work, will it? <laughs> oh, look, <let's... laughs> Call Chris Walker. I, I should just call an ambulance. <laughs> but so I'm going to get a sound of it, kills me.
2: The whole point is that then you plug your very small laptop into your big TV so you can watch it on the
1: TV. You know, my TV's not that big. <laughs> OK, right. Anyway, it meant that I watched the absolutely awful, absolutely disgusting obsession. Have you seen it? with Richard Armitage (laughs) and the young woman from Happy Valley it's very sordid (laughs) don't watch it, I have, but don't watch it (laughs) right, let's get on to the very very interesting email about friendship okay, do you want to read it? Uh, I'm currently in a muddle, says Anonymous, about friendships. And after listening to your interview with Elizabeth Day, it made me reflect on my situation even more. I had an excellent group of friends and we partied around London and had a pretty wild time. Everyone was different, but it just worked. I thought we'd be friends forever. But what's happened since kids and grown up life is that I've somehow been left behind. I didn't marry a cool, successful man, just a nice, normal man from outside the group. And I went to work for a charity after a couple of years in finance, so we have a pretty modest life. Maybe we just don't fit anymore. I notice very much that we don't get invited out, and we only really see people for big events and if we are the instigators. Over the last seven years since I had my kids, it's got worse. We've had to decline a lot as we don't have the funds, and people have moved on. And I am recently facing into this and feeling, well, rejection, sadness and confusion. Are we just not cool? or successful enough first of all i'd like to say to anonymous that never mind the cool successful man you can trust us both on this one (laughs) they they tend not to really uh be keepers uh but a nice normal man um that sounds great doesn't it yes it does uh and i
2: like the fact that you have chosen a job because you believe in it yes also good you're working for a charity after a few years in finance and i suppose what, what it's easy to say from the outside looking in is that you don't need friends like that. No, if except that. Except it's really hard to lose touch with a whole group of friends mm. in your adult life. And I would completely understand feeling rejected and sad and confused by it. But I wonder two things. Are you sure they're not all just so busy they're doing exactly the same thing to each other are you sure that it's only you because sometimes friendships do drop off especially in those years where people start having kids and you know all have
1: very big jobs or need to look after
2: elderly parents or whatever it
1: is but it looks as though the group do come together if anonymous and her partner instigate something yes and
2: but are you sure that that's that that that, that that isn't happening, if you sort of mean, when with you're the not others. around, with the others. Yes,
1: that could well be happening. But I'm not sure that's going to comfort them to think that they're all doing it without them. No. Um, and I suppose the other thing I'd say
2: is, is there somebody in the group that you could just ask ask, and just yeah. say, is it us? But and if it is us, how comfortable do you all feel you about, about, that? Uh,
1: about it? And, yeah, uh, if you're not going to be happy or content with that group when you see them, why would you want to see them? Um, if it 's just going to make you unhappy i don 't know it's it is a tough one, and I think you have to accept that as you get older, you do even your best friends who once seemed like they 'd be your best friends forever. life happens to them as it happens to you, and occasionally you do as you say, you do drift apart, and then maybe later in life you might discover each other again, yeah and don 't you think as well when you have kids,
2: so it 's interesting that it 's seven years since you had your kids. So presumably you've got more than one and they're both in primary school. I think you get incredibly drawn into that primary school. Oh, you can really do. World yeah, yeah. And it becomes almost impossible to see your previous friends at weekends. But then when the children Because your get kids older. decide your social life yeah. for you. But you're right, when you get older, sometimes those primary school friends just...
1: Drop off very quickly. Secondary school is very, very different, isn't it? In those, in that sense, Um, but I think it's probably a very, very common experience. And anonymous, I'm really glad you've drawn our attention to it because I think it's also fair to say that when other people have more money than you, that can be difficult. That just is difficult, isn't it? And we don't talk about it very much. Hugely difficult. And when they're choosing completely different things,
2: which will mean a different postcode to live in different type of house to buy yeah. different place to go on holiday with sometimes so stratospherically different <laughs> from your own yeah i think that that is tough isn't it and that's exactly the kind of time in life where all of that shakes down
1: isn't it? there is a classic british awkwardness about accepting too much hospitality from people who in the end you you actually come to really dislike <laughs> because for, the, for being generous for being really generous yes because yes, they can because they go get them Um, Obviously, I I don't feel too bad about uh, accepting huge amounts of hospitality from anyone who's got a chateau uh, in the family.
2: Uh, Have you ever been dropped by somebody because you're not kind of rich enough and flash enough to
1: be in their group? Um, No, I mean, no. As a single person, you do notice that you don't sometimes you don't get invited to stuff that's gone on because it doesn't involve you. You know what I mean? But that's nothing to do with money, is it? But that's just an honest answer. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I, you know, I've got a group of friends from school that I have known since we were 11. And, you know, our circumstances are very different. They are very different. I'm hugely fortunate in some ways, but others in the group have got incredibly successful long term marriages, partnerships that have certainly outlasted any of mine. So I don't know what how do you how do you compare Um. It can be a tricky one, but yeah. I, I do I feel for our correspondent because I think it's, it's very, it can you can be made to feel very small. by by people you thought really cared about you.
2: And definitely that kind of paranoia that comes in when you think that everybody else is getting together and you're being excluded. And actually, paranoia is too strong a word and it kind of puts it back on you. And I don't really mean that. I think sometimes groups of friends don't realise they're doing that, but it's bloody horrible. Yeah. And it's just like being at school. You never change. You never get any easier. You know,
1: that is the bottom line. You don't change. Yep, We're here to tell you that that insecure bundle of nerves that lurked around 40 years ago will still be with you. Forever. Although
2: Saturn is returning oh, to yes. you in its second phase, yes. isn't it?
1: So it bodes well for my next uh, the next 12 months, actually.
2: Yeah. Uh, can I just do one, uh, which is... I hope it's going to throw something out as well. I think it's probably anonymous, so let's keep it that way. Hi, Jane Fee. I've written once before a chaotic ramble about UTIs and listen to you always. I need some advice. I'm in a long-term relationship and wondering if I should leave it. I'm 31 and my partner of five years is a kind, loving, intelligent man. He's committed to our life and always supports me. When I'm with him in our flat, I often feel secure and sure of what we have. I'm close with his family and he's close with mine. We are on the cusp of making big life choices, such as applying for a mortgage, talking about kids. However, I travel... (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, I travel with work a lot and when I'm away, I often lose sight of this security and imagine other lives with other people. This often turns to dread of coming home because I feel like I've been emotionally unfaithful and like I can't trust my own thoughts. But I find the independence of traveling and working with inspiring people exciting and intoxicating. I know that I love my partner, but I also sometimes have a strong urge to start all over
1: again. Oh, yeah, but you have that strong urge precisely because you've got the steak at home you can You can think about having a burger when you're on your shovels you're going home to a nice bit of rump. Is that the advice that you're giving out? Well, it kind of is
2: essentially says our correspondent. I feel like I have two brains: one that has found a wonderful partner and one that wants to be free. Is there anything you can offer to help? well,
1: two brains I think. Do you remember that politician who was known as Twelve Brains?
2: No, well, that was David Willetts, and he was known as Three Brains. Oh, Three Brains! I'm terribly yeah. sorry.
1: See, I can't do maths. Ah, <laughs> see, I'm telling a joke about not being able to do maths.
2: <laughs> um, I tell you, what's even funnier? You're telling a
1: joke about David Willetts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's for the real <laughs> geeks amongst us. <laughs> <our> the <political laughs> slippery slope, isn't it? Is it? No, it really is. Out geeking myself. <laughs> um, oh gosh! You see, I do. I, the truth is, every I bet everyone who's in a really happy, stable relationship with a truly lovely human being lets their thoughts stray occasionally do you
2: think i was going to say exactly that <laughs> and i think you're in a perfect perfect place yeah lots of people are what places with you and also if if you have the kind of brain and imagination that can really enjoy uh, almost a fantasy life when you're away from your other life but never do anything about it Mm. that would destroy your normal life, then you're fine. I think that's called real life. Yes, you're absolutely fine. If you'd written to us and the letter had gone, you know, I'm in a long-term relationship with gorgeous, wonderful man, and I've just had the seventh of 285 affairs I intend to have (laughs) when I'm abroad and stuff, I think our answers would be different. Mm. But Jane's right. You know, you've got the steak at home, just imagine the burger.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can have a rich internal life. That's what they call it. And it's not infidelity. No. Who was it? Who was the American... It's just Sorry. dirty dreams. I'm <laughs> oh, talking of which. Well, the other morning, I mean, I don't, sometimes I amaze myself. I was, <laughs> I, do you know what, Kate? I'm now really worried. No, no. I was... I, last dream before I woke up, I was... <laughs> doing a trampoline demonstration. <laughs> The Ministry of Defence. <laughs> right. I think you make these things up. I don't. I don't care if you do because yeah, they're they're so stupid. Why? Who would make that up? Oh. Who would make that up? <laughs> okay, right. Um. Right. I, I also wanted to talk about uh, doing things on your own. Yes. This is from a listener who says, 11 years ago, I got divorced. And I, sorry, that's not funny anyway. I had a fantastic 18 months of seeing all the things I wanted to and going on holiday on my own. What I noticed was that I sat eating dinner, people watching. Sorry, that's that very poorly read out. What I noticed was as I sat eating dinner, people watching, couples and families were either sitting in silence or scrolling on their phones. That's why I'm just still crying with laughter. I even went Ah. on a solo holiday for Christmas. I met another recently divorced woman and she became a great friend of mine. So that was good. When I met my new partner, he was horrified that I would drive to London, park in a remote car park near a tube station that required me to walk through a dark alley to get back to my car. He couldn't believe that I would feel safe doing that at night. Well, I did feel safe until he mentioned it. I never had any issues, never got approached when I was out alone and never experienced anything untoward. I also feel if I were a man, no one would have battered an eyelid. And that is absolutely true, true, isn't it? Anyway, she goes on to say that she she went all over the world on her solo ventures, went to Australia to work for six months on her own. A memorable night was when I booked a ticket to see an opera at the Sydney Opera House, surely something everyone should experience. When I got there, the really nice woman pointed out that I had in fact booked a ticket for the Royal Opera House in London. Uh, Fortunately, as I was on my own, um, only the two of us witnessed my fuckwittery. So I just went out for a steak and a bucket of red wine instead. Brilliant. There you go. Um, Well, I hope you're happy. That sounds good, a good idea to me. Yeah. yeah.
2: And actually, quite a lot of people have written in to say that they have a great time uh, when they're out and about on their own. And it's one of those things, isn't it, that the more... You hear that people
1: are, the easier it is for everybody to do. So keep them coming. Absolutely. And you interviewed uh, Stig Abel last week, didn't you? We certainly did. And Cathy just says she doesn't think she could love him anymore. Mm. Purely maternal interest, she says, as I am old enough to be his mother. I think you've met Stig's mother. Uh, Stig had a launch party
2: for his book, Death Under a Little Sky, and his parents were there. I had a lovely chat with them. They are, they they were just lovely, lovely, uh, curious, funny, kind people who were so proud. Oh, that's pretty, yep. that's genuinely and, and, lovely. And it really uh, it did strike me uh, in quite a poignant way. I mean, it must be amazing uh, to go along to witness your. I mean, you know, he's a grown man, isn't he? He's in his mid forties. Uh, you know doing something I think this the so, late thirties. Well I think no so he's forty three,
1: I think. Is that mid?
2: Uh <laughs> something along those lines. But I sorry, this is what I'm trying to get out. Yeah, I on. think you imagine as a parent that your moments of pride uh, will be when your kids are possibly a bit younger when they do all those things, mm. but for it to keep on coming and, you know, to be there still celebrating. I thought it was lovely. And they were very nice. They're very they're very keen on your work. At Radio oh. 4, as well as oh. a few
1: things. Tell I'll me done. more about what this is. <laughs> Who was our guest?
2: Yeah. Our guest today uh, was Professor Tim Spector. Uh, he's written four books all about food, he is the modern guru of the gut. And he believes that the microbiome, with all of its good and bad bacteria, should really be considered a new organ in the body. It's that important, wow. Jane. He's also the co-founder of Zoe, which is a personalised nutrition company and the world's biggest citizen science health project. Zoe did lots during COVID, yeah. didn't it? You could join the Zoe COVID app, uh, which tracked symptoms and was incredibly helpful in the early days you, of the virus. You had to
1: record your own symptoms. You yeah. did, okay. yep. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And it became a really good bank of knowledge. Uh, for the vaccination companies and for the government too. He was in to talk about food specifically, though. So we wanted to ask him that very big question, what is the future of food and whether it was really something that the individual could have a huge say over?
0: Well, it depends whether we're talking about saving the planet or we're saving uh, our health. Let's save our health. So if we focus on our health, Uh, We've got to reverse the current trend, which is um, overwhelmingly changing our natural food for ultra processed foods. And this is basically killing us and making us more and more obese and giving us more diseases in a sort of slow, subliminal way that we haven't been aware of. And uh, the UK now has the highest rates of ultra processed food consumption in Europe second only in the world to the USA and it's responsible for childhood obesity and many other things and and no one's really been talking about this in any serious way Mm. uh, until very recently uh, because we've just been talking about calories and fats and, and sugars and salts and things and that's that's why we just have to start again and realize that our food choices are actually the most important things we can all do for our health.
2: Yeah. I'm astonished by that fact that we are the second worst in the world when it comes to ultra-processed food consumption. How has that been allowed to happen? What have other countries done that we haven't done?
0: Well, some have food cultures that maintained the role of traditional foods and didn't accept the fact that, that uh, for example we should all change from butter to margarine which is fake fake butter and didn't accept that we have supermarket breads rather than traditionally baked uh, breads and have kept the tradition of cooking uh, passing on generations of uh, being able to cook to the next generation and granny teaching certain recipes etc that We recognise in many of the Mediterranean countries, for example, that have uh, still managed very low levels. um, You know, 10 to 15 percent of their calories are ultra processed food as opposed to 57 percent in the UK. So I think the lack of a food culture is is the historical reason that Britons have done this. But I think we also have uh, a government that is much less interested in doing anything about food than other countries. Um, we have a very strong food lobby in this in this country that is, um, you know, puts pressure on government to make sure that any regulation doesn't affect them and that they can carry on uh, sort of reformulating foods to pretend that they're healthier whilst, you know, they are just every bit as unhealthy and making us overeat. Yeah, so and- it's, it's a mixture of culture and politics and... Um, these two together is a pretty lethal combination.
2: Yeah, and obviously that is costing us a lot in the long run. Uh, If we can personalise it all, um, I love your books and just this notion of how we can dispense with counting calories and start to look at the way we eat in a very different way and I wonder whether you could explain it to our listeners just in the choices that you've made yourself. I was interested that you used to start your day with a bowl of muesli and a glass of orange juice which sounds absolutely fine to me Uh, but after your extensive research you've changed that haven't you? Why?
0: Yes well I realised that what I thought was healthy and I think most listeners would think would be a sort of healthy breakfast for me turned out not to be Um, for a start. Both of those products are ultra processed foods. They um, for the large part, most breakfast cereals and most orange juices that aren't completely fresh contain lots of ingredients and chemicals you you wouldn't find in your kitchen. And just the fact of having ultra processed food, we know uh, makes you overeat. So studies have shown that giving people identical meals for a day, one processed, one ultra processed and one whole food makes you overeat by about 500 kilocalories, 500 calories a day, which is a huge amount because they're very palatable and they, you don't feel full on them. So that was one reason. So, you know, I I was eating what I thought was healthy food, but it turned out to be ultra processed food in disguise. And, I might have also had some brown supermarket bread that looked healthy, but was also um, ultra processed. And then the other, the bit that was talking about personalized was the fact that uh, when I tested myself with the, um, say, doing a test like Zoe, uh, where you get a continuous glucose monitor and a, and a fat monitor, I found that I have a very bad response to sugars. So compared to the average person, I get a really big sugar spike when I have some carbohydrates. So, by having these sugar spikes regularly, which were triggered by my muesli or my uh, bread or my orange juice, this meant that my body was under more stress and I was gaining weight uh, long term uh, just by these small increments. So, uh, that was, you know, that was for me quite a big change when I first noticed this. And, um, and, I, You know, and I put that together with my, uh, as a doctor, I would would just grab a sandwich at lunch and that turned out to be, you know, what I thought was another healthy, a brown roll with tuna and sweet corn turns out that was something that really spiked me, my blood sugars as well. So when I've changed that to a high fat uh, breakfast with uh, nuts and seeds and uh, full fat yogurt, I've ended up not having those sugar spikes, having more energy, um, feeling fuller more easily and have slowly shed about 10 kilos in weight o- over the last few years. So I think everyone can learn these lessons that firstly, a lot of the food we eat that we think is healthy isn't. And there's also a degree of personalization that although we're all told by the government and the NHS that we should be eating more starchy foods and grains and we should eat lots of bread and uh, potatoes etc that's not going to be correct for many people because um, as we've we've shown there's big differences between all of us in how we respond to the identical food and that's what we've we've been doing these studies showing tenfold differences between normal adults when given an identical muffin in terms of our sugar or our fat responses so that's it it's much more complicated than we've been led to believe. There isn't one size fits all.
1: No, and it clearly is very personalised, Tim. So how do us mere mortals find out which personality type we are?
0: Well, if, you, if you've got um, the money, you do one of these new tests and you actually, uh, like, you get a Zoe kit, sign up for that, and you get this personalised nutrition where you, you, you can stick a, a glucose monitor on yourself. It's all done at home. Uh, and then you get readouts on your phone about what's happening to your sugar levels after your morning toast or to your muesli, and you can get an idea of that. Uh, you get fat. You can test your fat at home as well, uh, fat levels in the blood after six hours after a meal, and you look at your gut microbiome. So that's part. If you've got the money to do a kit, yeah. you can do that. And if you haven't, if you haven't got, yeah, go if you haven't got that, you. Uh, some people. Yeah can 't listen to their body, so if you 're the sort of person that three hours after breakfast or three hours after lunch you get a a, a sugar dip, you might notice your slump in your energy levels, you get um, see so more tired, your mood's a bit depressed, and actually you get more hungry that 's a sign that you are having a, a sugar spike and then a dip afterwards, so sometimes listening to your body. Uh, experimenting with things like breakfast when you're in in control, trying either skipping breakfast, having a high-fat breakfast, or having a a high-carb breakfast. And then just sort of mentally every half an hour working out how you feel, that would give you some rough idea of what's going on in your body so that you can uh, redesign. So experimentation is very much part of it. And some people are better than others at sensing how their body really feels. I'm not particularly good, but I do know some people can do this and, and can feel this. But it's only when you understand how differently everyone responds to the same food that you start to make uh, thinking about your body in a different way. And I think that's, that's the first step.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, Tim
2: Spector is our guest this afternoon. Uh, the K things we wanted to talk about, Tim, kefir, kimchi, kombucha, uh, they are very much in the ether of um, kind of, I don't know, uh, health. It's not a fad, is it? But a uh, new health language at the moment. Uh, what exactly do those do for us?
0: Yeah, well, I talk about the four Ks in my book and um, in a way, five years ago, no one had really heard of these, but I think now they're very much part of, of uh, British culture, and the one thing about is good about Britain is we can adopt new habits pretty fast. And these are all fermented foods. And if we add the the four Ks to things like yogurt and to cheese and a lot of the Japanese fermented soy uh, products, we've got a whole range of foods which contain live microbes, and this is they're probiotic foods. And we now know that they are really vital for our healthy gut, our healthy gut microbiome. And new research has has shown quite clearly that just in a couple of weeks, intensive use of these these foods improves our immune system, reduces inflammation, and can have important effects on our metabolism, so that all our gut is working better and uh, much healthier. So it's really important that people start to use these products on a regular basis. Small and often is is really the go with these foods. Mm. And trying new ones, not just sticking to the same uh, yoghurt, you know, realise that these other ones have even more bugs in them and the the more bugs, the merrier.
2: And do you worry, Tim, that we really are going to head towards an even more uh, divided food society? Because, I mean, I know that some of the kimchi on sale in my local neck of the woods... Uh, in London can be about kind of four or five quid a jar. I know you can make it at home for an awful lot less, but I also wonder whether some people who are on really restricted diets because of cost, because of the cost of living crisis, you know, how all of this very good stuff can really reach them.
0: Yeah, no, it's a a genuine concern. But I mean, we, we are drifting apart as a nation between the sort of healthy and the unhealthy particularly as the unhealthy, are eating more and more ultra-processed foods. You know, in, the, in those deprived groups, over 95% of their calories are ultra-processed. And uh, I think we need to be teaching people that fermented foods are something that are actually very cheap to make yourself. And this should be part of our education, should be part of our school system. Uh, everyone actually can make yogurt. It's dead easy. You can make sauerkraut or kimchi from leftover scraps in your fridge that you'd otherwise throw away, and yeah, there's no cooking involved. It's all, it's all cold. It's just leaving it out. So, But,
1: but time um,
0: time is required, isn't it, Tim? It is required, but if you get in a system... I mean, I mean things like yoghurt and kefir are made in poor countries, uh, in lots of... Uh, in uh, Pakistan and India... It's just a routine that the, the bottle is just, you know, left out. It takes about five minutes. You leave it out. It's ready the next day. Uh, a lot of these things are about teaching people routines. And, and so it is all possible if you have that right education or it's passed sure. down but within a, the families.
1: If a palate has become conditioned to ultra-processed food, how easy is it to retrain that
0: palate to accept kefir and kimchi? Uh, it's not straightforward. You're absolutely right. Um, and it often has to be done gradually. And I, I tell people if they're trying to get kefir, start mixing it with yogurt first. So you slowly bring it in. But, you know, we've all learned to do this. We I'm sure when we first drank tea or coffee, we had lots of spoons of sugar in it and we managed to wean ourselves off it. So it's the same principle as we learn to wean ourselves off ultra sweet foods onto more sour or bitter ones. It's, it's just a gradual process and realising you, you're not going to do it in a day. And I think that's, that's key.
2: All of the work that you've done, Tim, on the microbiome, is this revolutionising our knowledge about digestion and links to health?
0: Absolutely. It's, it's totally changed uh, our views about food, how that affects our health, realising that these microbes are the key to the link between our immune system, our brain and the foods we eat and realising that they are chemical factories that are producing all the good chemicals and metabolites we need to function well, to fight cancer, to fight ageing, to keep our um, metabolism on the right track and they need to be fed properly. And I think this is why we're moving away from the old idea of calories and uh, macronutrients and starting to think of food as this complex group of chemicals that uh, we need to be taking much more seriously and realise it's a much more complex subject Mm. than just ticking a few boxes to say, I've got vitamin C, I've got fibre, everything's Mm. fine.
2: And how quickly can you change Uh, what's in your intestines if you're listening to this this afternoon you think yep i've been eating ultra processed food for 10 20 30 years of my life whatever it is uh so you know i'm i'm kind of um i'm uh too far down the line to really change anything would that ever be true
0: no Uh, the the good thing about the gut microbiome is it is flexible it's changeable and studies have shown that if you if you've got really poor microbes, so much such as the one you're describing, within a week, you can uh, transform your gut microbes if you start feeding them the plants and the fermented foods and the real food and you avoid the, the junk food uh, full of chemicals. So it, it can happen really in a few days. And so it, it, that is the motivating, motivating factor for everybody, that we are all empowered to improve our health. And our food choices are the most important Uh, tool we have for our health and the people don't fully realise that.
1: Will any of your ideas make their way through to uh, the hospital kitchens of the NHS?
0: Um, I'd love to hope so because at least we could stop poisoning people with ultra-processed foods in our kitchens. And There are some hospitals that do uh, have high standards and do use real food. We just haven't rolled it out nationally. We haven't yet got this We're one of the few countries that doesn't talk about ultra processed foods in our national food guidelines. Once that happens, I think uh, the rest will follow. But I think it's up to the public really to start voicing their concern about these products and realise that these foods ought to have warning labels on them because we now know they are really bad for our health and for the nation. Sorry to interrupt
1: him, but can you give us an example of a couple of ultra-processed foods that I've probably eaten today and will eat tomorrow that could actually be doing me real harm?
0: Yeah, probably supermarket bread, I imagine. Uh, A supermarket sliced loaf contains, if you look at the back of the pack, perhaps a dozen ingredients, half of which you wouldn't recognise in your kitchen. Um, You might have had some... Most breakfast cereals are ultra-processed, although they might say they've got vitamins and fibre. They're reconstituted. They're they're not actually in their real form. Most ready meals are Uh, ultra-processed. Most biscuits and cakes contain Mm. all kinds of chemicals. So we're surrounded by them. It's really hard to avoid them completely. Mm. But but I think my reason for saying is I really worry about people having yogurts for children for example without health warnings when they're really bad foods and have no health benefits at all and people think they're giving their, their kids healthy foods. So I think this is where the public is really being misled and uh, we realize that all these reconstituted foods that are faking the real thing and put back as food are ultra-processed mm-hmm. and, we, and we're currently being uh, hoodwinked into thinking they're healthy.
2: Professor Tim Spector was our guest today. There are loads of books that you can choose from. His latest one is called Food for Life. Mm. Uh, I was very glad that you managed to get in your kafir experience. Yes.
1: Well, I'm, I'm going to persevere. And actually, I'm very probably one of the very few people on earth put onto kafir by their mother because my mum is in quite good health for somebody who's approaching 90 uh doesn't always appreciate it perhaps as much as you should sure. um i'm just hedging my bets here because you are very fortunate if you're if you're able to get up and do stuff when you're 89 let's be honest uh, she has started to swear by kafir, so i've tried to use it and i'm trying to like it and it's quite heavy weather at the moment but it's the first thing i have you know come downstairs in the morning and i have a glass of kefir and it sets me jangling. Well, that's very good for you, especially yeah. that
2: time of day. Uh, all of that sounds absolutely lovely, but don't you forget my twirl.
1: <laughs> well, I had already forgotten it, and I'll continue to forget it as the week progresses, I suspect. Um, Michael has emailed to say, I thought the feature on Minecraft on your radio show today was Perfect. Fantastic, in fact. I started playing Minecraft myself during the first lockdown of 2019, and the game provided a fantastic escape from what was going on around me. Perhaps more trivial in my case, but it was fantastic to hear about how it's helped others. And actually, that feature... Was done by our colleague Kate Lee, and it was about how autistic children can really benefit from playing Minecraft. Yeah, it
2: was a very good um, report. And it was very
1: interesting. And yes, Michael, I'm really glad that you have started to play Minecraft and you enjoy it. I don't. I'm still afraid. Don't quite know what you do on Minecraft. You build a new world. Well, that's what I'm doing,
2: one day at a time. <laughs> okay, in your dreams, literally. I'm going to keep an eye on these dreams, Jane, because so far you've been the ambassador to i am in Romania. Was Romania? It was
1: Romania, yeah. Or was it Bucharest? No, well, it was Romania. Oh, it's the whole country. Oh, God's sake. Okay. You can't be an ambassador to a city. You know? Even in my dreams, I knew you, that. But
2: were you based <laughs> in Bucharest. <laughs>
1: and you've given a
2: trampolining demonstration to the ministry of defense so there is a military theme running through this there's a kind of there are uniforms involved you're in positions of authority i
1: think the problem with my dreams currently and look there's nothing more boring than let's be let's just acknowledge this i'm really going disappearing up my own kefir infested gut yeah um but I am very. I have very specific dreams. I remember. I there, there's obviously something happening. They're, they're the dreams I have just before I come to in the morning, and I can remember them in huge detail. That's weird. And it is quite weird because yeah, mine yeah. just dart away. Yeah, you know got, they're gone. Yeah.
2: When you watch the uh, shoal of fishes. In the sea, mine just go.
1: Yeah, straight off in the mm, other mine direction. Don't. You see, they, they linger. Yeah, I wonder whether did COVID Does affect you have your to dreams? Don't let
2: it linger. It's the ground breeze, wasn't it? Yes. Sorry, darling. What did COVID affect your dream? No. Good night, everybody. See you tomorrow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you might not. I could be taken ill. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings. Otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We missed the
2: modesty class. (laughs) Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man. It's Henry Tribe. Yeah,
1: he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week. And you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day as well as a genuinely interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects.
2: Thank you for bearing with us
1: and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon.